a quick little bonus episode before the weekend and we'll return to normal episodes next week. Um, this bonus episode, we talked to Deborah Liberale. Deborah is an emergency nurse from Brazil. Um, Deborah's also doing some research um, into how we make decisions in the waiting room um, about our patient care. And yes, you guessed it, Deborah would love to speak to some of our emergency nurses who work in Australasian emergency departments. So if you've got a spare 50 minutes and you'd like to speak to Deborah, give us a yell here at thisemergencylife at gmail.com or see us on Twitter at thisedlife. Welcome to This Emergency Life, a podcast about your emergency life. Well, my name is Deborah Liberali and I'm a nurse in Brazil. Uh, I'm specialized in urgency and emergency there. And I, I have been working on nursing field for nine years until now. And now I'm doing Bachelor of nurse, Nursing in Honours in here in Australia. Listeners have worked in healthcare EDs in in Australia, New Zealand, and all around the world. Lots of my friends have. I, on the other hand, have limited experience working in uh, emergency care beyond Australia. I've worked around Australia, but not beyond there. Um, And while we often discuss overcrowding in our EDs here in Australia, I was struck by an image that you showed as part of your presentation uh, that you gave at the Monash Nursing and Midwifery Research Seminar a few weeks ago. The image showed um, a waiting room of your ED in Brazil and what it looked like to me was it just it, it indicated an overwhelming demand on uh, emergency care. Um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about this and how such a demand is managed in Brazil. Sure. So yeah, that photo was back to 2020 when I was doing my residence program. And uh, yes, just to contextualize a little bit, I would like to explain how the health uh, care works in Brazil because it's quite different from Australia. So when a, when a patient goes to the emergency, not always they have a major illness just because how the health is there. So for example, many patients there are classified as, uh, if comparing here in Australia, as five or four. Because it's not that they don't have where to go. We do have in public health system, uh, like a GP. But When they, you say classified, you mean like the triage scale? The triage scale, because yeah. we use Manchester there. So it yeah. would be the color blue or green in yeah. here, 504. Uh, and the, for example, if you have a cold or um, a headache or even a diarrhea, and you try to schedule a time on an appointment with a doctor in a kind of public GP in Brazil, uh, I can tell you that you are not going to have this appointment on that day. So if you if you, you are working and you, you need a doctor to see you and attest that you are with this illness, you have to, to, to go to somewhere. So what happens? They go to our emergency. So one of the big uh, problems there is like the system and how the the, the population is edu- in health education to, under- to understand it. So this is one of the 
basically and very quickly trying to explain why it's very overwhelming. And of course, in the middle of this whole population, we have the patients that are there have major illnesses. So how we manage to to work on it there, it's I can say that as when I was a resident nurse, I had to create a very good sense of how to analyze and read people. Because we have patients there that they are feeling not feeling well and they are going to tell you, look, I'm really not feeling well. I need you to see me now because we have lines waiting for you to classify them. And, and, and at, that at that moment, we don't know. We don't have any, any vital sign in anything, just, just their names. So when it happens, I, I, I have to say, thank you, God, because the person came and I could classify them, analyze, and then they can be seen for a doctor. But when it doesn't happen, sometimes the person stay waiting for one or two hours. And as a health professionals, we know that if this person has chest pain and we have to start uh, a specific protocol. So this time is very important. So this is one thing that like, uh, I think that all nurse there's develop something that is go out of your desk and have a look around. This is like the first thing we do. It third minutes, every third minutes, but even then when a patient is classified sometimes as a blue or red, at that time, 2012, 2013, they used to stay well, waiting 12 hours to be seen. And we know that this patient has a risk of deterioration because we, we didn't run any exams. It, it was analyzed and um, for us, uh, we, we did an, uh, an exam, but it's not enough in some, some situations. So this is the way that we do. So it, it's really overwhelming because we have like there, as in here, the overcrowding and the access block. So in the middle of all these people, we, we, we have strokes, we have people that are in the health system and they are trying to get a specific treatment, treatment but it takes a while for them to, to get on it, maybe months, years. So they had to go to the emergency and of course we are going to run a CT and everything. So we 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 actually we really try as a health professionals to do our best and uh, create a very good sense of look at people try to understand them uh, even because of the level of education many times like they don't know how to express what they are feeling so this is very very important and of course that the structure in Brazil is not as same as, as here in Australia. I have an opportunity to go to, to um, a public hospital in here in Sandringham, and uh, I could have a look and anal analyze a little bit. So uh, the number of professionals that you have in the in emergency are much bigger than we have in Brazil. So for example, I was in a um, cubicle at that point. And uh, I could observe that it was like one nurse for four patients or five, but it wasn't like at, in, my, in my situation, it wasn't all full. So he was looking after three patients and it it's never happened in Brazil. So for example, 
at some point there, there was some days that I was the unique nurse in the whole emergency department as a resident. So the, the only nurse. The only nurse in the emergency department. Like I've had, I've had nightmares about that that very situation. Yeah. So just for you to understand, like uh, how it happens, we used to put a IEN in the door to collect the vital signs. And me as a nurse, I had to be in the in the uh, resu- uh, resu- Resurrection room is sorry, it's how you call resuscitation it. room. Resuscitation room because it, like it's the most needed. So what happens? Like my the, the health professional outside, they it isn't classifying. It's just looking at vital signs. And when it's needed, he goes inside and talk to me there. But I I had to look at the and it's not just me. Many health professionals there. I had uh, my colleagues were doing the same in in some situation. And the hospital have the shifts of the professionals there. So they were aware, of course, that it happens when when one of the professionals are, like didn't appear, it didn't show because of a health condition or something happened. But what the, the most, I think, that um, terrifying thing is that you are responsible for 100 patients and all the people that are outside as well. Because we, yeah, because we have the resuscitation room. We have another room that is like a, for for patients. It's like a CT. Can I say? Yeah, I think that I can say because they are all in ventilators around six or seven. And then we have a small uh, ward inside that takes around fifteen patients in there because they don't have access to to. Uh, um adequate bed we do have the inadequate bed but like the professionals that are there are from the emergency and they stay there maybe week one week two perhaps they never go inside they they are dismissed from the emergency and sort then of like a short stay unit yeah yeah short stay unit but but they are treated there sometimes they never go to a ward so and then we have the a special place which is the psychiatry that for the patients with mental illness and then we have the aisle which is really a aisle that we we put the patients there it's around 40 patients sometimes just in like this aisle yeah it's a corridor but yeah. we have beds in this right. corridor and then we have the patients that are in the medication for they have a flu or they have cold or something they don't like it's very uh it's this place, I would say that it's a short-term um, patient to stay. He stays six hours and then is dismissed. So it's terrifying. It's really in, terrifying. In the, in the pre-COVID era, what, what sort of, in so much as you can say, what sort of numbers would you be having presenting to the emergency department every day? Around, I think, that 800 and 1,000. <laughs> Oh around that some days 400 so it really depends on the hospital that we are, we are talking uh so if it is a quaternary hospital it's 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 bigger because we have all the references there and uh everyone goes there and i i must say that all the health professional knows are on are really amazing like they're ve- yeah they are very compromised and uh they know when they accept to go to work in these places how it's going to be 
So it's yeah. why like uh, it's 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 rewarding actually to work and learn from many of nurses, very experienced and doctors and all the whole uh, whole equip, the whole team. And uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, it, it's a lot. Like it's why I say sometimes in the in the when we are uh, as a triage nurse, we don't have time to go inside. We stay classifying without stop. Yeah. We just have to sometimes go to our door, have a look, see if everyone is looking well, ask if someone needs something, um, tell to the patients that like uh, if they are classified as five or four in here, like for them to come to my door in one or two hours. And if they f don't feel well to don't think and come that I will reassess them. But it's basically, basically it's like how we manage and sometimes as sad as to say it, we don't, we, we don't. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine with that kind of turnover and that kind of demand, your, um, your clinical reasoning skills will get really finely honed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I have to say like, um, I don't know if it's the best say, way to say, but there are people that ha that learns in happiness and there are people that learns having some pain. Mm. So I, I would say that this pain is because it, it is overwhelming. Like you suffer when you are there and I'm glad to be there and I would do it, it again because I really, really learned so much. We used to say that we can work almost anywhere. Of course, that I don't know other, other countries that must be like maybe worse than what I saw, but I can guarantee that like we, we really learn we really learn a lot, and uh, mostly of our protocols in the in the triage start with us. So, for example, if a patient have a chest pain, we ha we have to 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 run the the whole pro protocol inside the triage. So we we does the electrocardiogram. We we let, we have to read it. We have to see if there are any anormality, and then we we as a nurse decide where we are going to put that patient. So. If depends on the symptoms and how is the result, we go straight away for the resuscitation room or we talked with a doctor. But the point is the doctors are really overwhelmed as well. So sometimes you don't, we don't have time to discuss. We just have to put him in a, be in a bed and just go and say, I'm going and we start the whole protocol. So it takes a while to do it. We used to classify a patient there in around best situation one minute and a half too but uh, when it happens it takes 10 minutes 15 minutes so there is another problem because we are doing it there but at this time there are there are other patients waiting for my for me so and there is can have so we have like cardiac rests in our door like we have mostly everything coming yeah. like yeah that's going to that's going to scare a lot of our listeners but also it's going to make our listeners want more nurses like you working amongst us people who can um who are prepared to deal with that that kind of demand the conversation up to date a little bit yeah now um kind of at the time of recording this podcast there's 
um, over 41,000 confirmed cases um, and nearly 83,000, probably more today, actually, deaths yeah. from COVID in, in Brazil. Um, and the Bolsonaro government and indeed Jair Bolsonaro himself have been the subject of what appears to be pretty justified global criticism and criticism within within. Uh, the country. As an emergency nurse with insights into Brazilian healthcare system, I guess there's two questions here. How are your ED colleagues in Brazil going? And um, what are your thoughts about uh, the, the, the situation? Uh, I think that I'm going to address the first one. It's how my colleagues going in Brazil. So I think that they are doing out uh, their best as we always, always do. Like, so, for example, use the individual equipment very mindful, in a very mindful way, uh, trying not to, 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 to be contaminated. But of course, that's like the majority of them I'm in contact already had the, the COVID-19. And uh, in Brazil, we also had a, a kind of referral hospitals that were created just for the COVID-19 situation. So when a patient comes through and the, the symptoms are covid uh, dyspnea or like anything that like temperature, they are transferred for these uh, special hospitals uh, to be seen. So I think that in this point we have two like uh, two situations in here. Of course, that these referral hospitals wouldn't wasn't creating from anywhere. Some of them were like let's say kind of deactivated to work as it was to work. So, of course, they are seeing people, but the focus are COVID and not all the rest. And the people there continue be, being sick, became ill. So, um, I I think that it's, it, we are, I say we because like I talk so many times with my friends and very, I have very close ones. And uh, working at the same way that used to work. So doing the best, relying on the on the team, which is I didn't mention before, but it is very, very important to be able to rely in, in your colleagues at that point. Some of them are working, not feeling well. Of course, they are not with COVID. But what happened is if you if you have like another uh, disease and you don't show up to work, your colleagues rely on you. It will be one person, like one less, maybe two, maybe three. So they are struggling to go no matter what to work because everyone there nowadays is, is really important. And uh, I think that they are very overwhelmed. I know I have two that have a burnout, close friends. One of them had a burnout one, one month ago because it's 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 really tough i think it's not just like overwhelming because of the work but the psychological situation and the um, and as well as it causes distress we know it when we we see a patient that maybe occurs to don't have a um a better outcome so i think that um, now they are more close i would say as a team like uh, to try to manage it. And of course, the health system is trying to do their best, but as a health professional there, and uh, I used to work um, as a coordinator as well. So I understand the, the, the behind the scenes as well. Like we do our best to, to give everything that we possibly can, but sometimes we just, we just can't. 
So, yeah, I mean about like, uh, of course, that uh, we, we do have uh, treatment and medications, but sometimes we don't have some other things that are that are important and uh, we don't have space. We don't have, um, I don't know if you call here in uh, scalp. It's like uh, to... Sometimes I I just forgot some words. Cliff, yeah, you are right. yeah, you are right. But like, if you need to punch in a um to have a to take uh to do something with the patient or even exam, which it could take a while to the results to come, and uh, yeah, that's it. So I think that they are working as best as they can as ours. Their individual protection as well and thinking mindful, very aware about their families. Some of them are not seeing their families at all. Some of them are. They are mothers. They need to be with their their children, so they have to go. So, yeah. What What is the conversation like amongst your colleagues uh, about the government's response to COVID? Well, talking about politics a little bit, I think there is. A, it's a very tough conversation. I was to say that's almost like to discuss religion because it's like, it's very too. But I think that um, yes, Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro as a as a president has uh, had many critics about his position. But I think that uh, not talking about Bolsonaro, but talking about Brazil's reality, it's a totally different place to be. So we have to remember that. People there can uh, are suffering of like misery, so it's 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 different. It's different to, for example, it's totally different to compare with an Australia, with Australia. Like we know that the the premier here like uh, has conditions to give support and every everything. The amount like the number in population is much smaller. So just to compare, like the whole population of Australia is just the population of the city of São Paulo, just one city. So it's it's really difficult. I really think that uh, as all, all the presidents, they have their ministers there. And I really think that he's trying to, like all of them is trying to do their best. Anyone is, wants to do anything worse for the population, but they have to work with numbers. They have to, to, to look at the big picture, the whole economy, because the collapse in Brazil is not the same collapse here and even in other places in, uh, around the world. So... I really think that I, I always I always like to be positive and really think that every everything that a major person that is responsible for a whole country is doing their best, trying at least to do their best. And I have to say that Bolsonaro is not good at in communication. Like uh <laughs> so the way that he expressed their thoughts, the way that he put it in front of the to 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 talk it's it's definitely not good but i think that he has good people behind him like their ministers to 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 give some path like and good healthcare advice yeah good healthcare advice and really trying to work with what they have i, I it's easy it's it, it, it's very difficult i understand like all my colleagues are very are having a terrible time but they are aware of it. It's not just COVID situation. Of course, now we are in COVID situation, but the situation, healthcare situation in Brazil, it has been always the same. So it's why I say that there is not much more than what we we do. I actually have a colleague that he he used to say that when he uh, walks into the hospital, he always think like I'm going to do my best, but um, no heroic acts. 
because we are not heroes it's impossible to be heroic and do like unfortunately like something doesn't happen for nothing so just remember that because the psychological thing is very important and i think it's why he said it because like no heroic acts i'm going to do my best as i can exactly yeah, yeah yeah um yeah and there's been a lot of talk um especially um a, a month and a half ago around calling nurses and doctors and healthcare workers and indeed cleaners and clerical staff heroes um and you know i've got my own position on that and there's been a lot of talk about uh, well not heroes we're doing a job and um we you know, we should be uh, paid appropriately for that and taken care of appropriately for that. So, you know, heroes are people who are indestructible. And I don't uh, I don't think nurses and doctors and, and all of the team that support uh, the emergency care setting um, are indestructible in, in any way. I think they're awesome, but I don't think they're indestructible. Look, um, it's, it's improbable, but it's not impossible that our healthcare system here will have to manage anything like the surge in Brazil. Um, uh, we're walking a bit of a tightrope at the moment as we record this. However, do you have, and you've probably given us a lot actually in your last little statement, if you've got any advice for Australian emergency care community based on what your friends and colleagues are doing in Brazil? Yeah. So thinking about the health situation, um, I think that the first thing is uh, do what your government is telling you to, to do, because I don't know, I'm not aware of this, the health situation in Australia, the unique contact I have, it's through my, through my research, but, and, and I don't know, like, um, really the numbers in here, but um, I, I actually, I, I really think that it's not going to happen here in Australia because the 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 I can say the education of the population is different. They are well aware, so it's a other other context. Let's say this way. But I really think that for the health professionals, like to to remember as we were talking, they are amazing. We are amazing, but we are not heroes in a certain point as as we were talking. So. Trying to be mindful of your of your psych psychological situation. Use your have to use your uh, individual protection very mindful. Uh, don't hesitate. Don't think that's not going to happen with you because it 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 does, and we know it. And uh, be kind and patient because you are doing your best. So yeah, and that's it. And for 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 the for the people, like do your best as well. If if you can stay at home, stay at home. If you don't, don't try. Don't to see like um, people that don't need to be seen, like elderly people and everything. Now in in Australia, we are in isolation in Victoria, so actually we don't we can't see anyone uh, instead of our family. But we know some people doesn't do it. And and uh, in in the hospital, another thing that I have to say: talk to your colleagues, talk to your team. Uh, being vulnerable is not a problem. So express yourself. I think that it's important to say, because sometimes I think like us as as nurse, we used to to care a lot. Like it's it's not just about the 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 care of the patients; it's about the leadership. It's about to take care of the, the, the whole administrative situation of any part of the department that you're working for. So, yeah, I think I think that really that's it. 
I think that's really good advice. Um, we've talked to other people on the show uh, about um, expressing your or, or allowing yourself to be vulnerable as a leader, and it it actually is one of the key elements of of good leadership and teamwork. You mentioned um, during the your 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 last little response there about your research, um, and um, I've got to. Uh, declare here full yeah. full full um, dis- d- disclosure that I'm one of your your supervisors for your current research. Um, perhaps you could tell us about some of this important patient safety and quality research around the emergency department that you're doing. Yeah, so I'm I'm studying about uh, how emergency nurses uh, in the waiting room make decisions about reassessment and provide care for for patients there that are in risk of deterioration. And of course, because of everything that we have talked before, is one of my concerns uh, back there in Brazil. So uh, we are going to to study like uh, what is important for them, what they are looking after, what are the the signs or even what it's um, the whole like uh, scenario, and and trying to understand their their position and uh, the importance of this study uh, for me is like try to develop that uh, good practice and quality and uh, patient safety for the for the patients, better education and training for the for nurses. But for me, it's beyond that. I'm going to understand, and uh, I never had this answer. As we were talking in here, everyone has their own way to do it, and uh, and their expertise and knowledge. So I'm I'm going to study and understand uh, nurse out in here in Australia how they do it, and even understand a little bit more about the health system and how it works in here, and uh, the different real- reality because here we know. I can say it a hundred percent sure, but I can say that there are more um, technology inside the the emergency and the whole hospital, more um, more professionals working. So the, the, the dimension and, and numbers are different. So I would be able to see it from a different perspective, because till now I, I didn't have the the the, the possibility to 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 work. As, as a nurse in here and uh, the unique contact I have, it was towards the research and my visit to the emergency department. But yeah. perhaps we can touch on that just briefly before we finish up. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times that you haven't been able to work here as uh, an emergency nurse. And it, to me, it feels like we're missing out on, especially right now, you know, we're starting to see um, shortages in our staff due to furloughing and self-isolation um, for patient, uh, staff who've been in contact or indeed have COVID. Um, tell us about what's going on there. So I, I it's, it's a long pathway to go. So firstly, as an international nurse, uh, we, you have to apply for APRA. So we have to take a, a, a test that qualifies our level of English. A proficiency test. So I started my my process back 2019, and uh, it's a very long way because we have to send all our documents about everything in our uh, university. But what happens with me particularly because I have friends that have been doing it. So some of them 
It takes two years, some of them four years. And uh, I, I never saw, I think that I will have one lucky friend that's going to take one year. But uh, for, I was to tell about Brazilian, like uh, some countries, um, they can validate easily as uh, United States, for example. But in Brazil, we have to show that we have the same level of education in here. And the APRA is developing, at the time that I was doing it, it was developing a different uh, pathway, which is the OBA, that we have to do a, any CLEX uh, exam test, and, uh, and then another, which is like a practical exam. But back in 2019, I could, uh, I, I could um, go to a different pathway, which was a bridging course which uh, we have um, a problem in December. So I couldn't choose it because it, it was a situation with APRA. It's very particular. But what happens? I apply it again in February. And uh, I'm waiting because I think that the whole COVID situation got at APRA as well. So they wasn't prepared. They didn't uh, have prepared all the, the tests and how all this whole new process were going to work. So... And with the isolation, everything, they couldn't. So all the process are postponed. So I applied in, in February and I received a message from a case officer actually two days ago asking for more documents. But the pathway that is going to happen, I will have to take a, any CLEX exam, which there is no problem, and then do this other test, which is um, uh, examination, I, I would say. I don't know, actually. Uh, like a well. clinical skills clinical, assessment. Yeah, clinical yeah. skills assessment, because anyone did it yet here in Australia. So everyone are waiting to open and be able to do it. So I'm aiming to to do it as... as well, I don't know how many ED nurse unit managers are listening to this podcast, um, but I certainly know that just from what you've described, that you'd be um, a really good get <laughs> for any emergency department. So please feel free to reach out to this emergency life. Um, we're easy to contact and I can put you in touch with Deborah for when she has her registration. Deborah, it's been delightful talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the show and all of our hearts go out to your colleagues and, and indeed your uh, countrymen and women back in Brazil right now. Um, and hopefully we can get you working in our ADs as soon as possible. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much, Cliff. It was my pleasure. It was very, very nice talk. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks for listening in. Just a reminder that none of the opinions or thoughts shared on the show necessarily represent those of Cena or our employers. The music you're listening to is by Ben Maswick and The Millions. Um, they can be found on iTunes and Spotify and all the usual places. If you have a suggestion or a recommendation for a guest on the show, why not head over to thisemergencylife.com and leave us a message, or you can email us at thisemergencylife at gmail.com. You've been listening to This Emergency Life, a podcast about your emergency life. Mm -hmm.